You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Well, 25 years ago in April of 1993, if my math is correct, I was sitting in my office in Little Rock and I got a call from my old law school roommate who lived in Dallas at the time, Sandy Brown. And Sandy said, hey, Chuck, I just came up with two tickets to the Masters. It's on Friday. You're like the one guy. I wasn't married yet. So that's one reason he called me. He goes, uh, that might just pick up last minute and fly to Atlanta on uh, Thursday night and go to the Masters on Friday. Are you in? Anybody that knows me said, knows that I said, I'm in. And we flew, actually got to see the Dodgers in Atlanta on Thursday night, my favorite team. We woke up early in Augusta that morning. Uh, we went to, I'm a golfer, man. I love Augusta National. The Masters is the Super Bowl of all sports. It's the, of, uh, of the golf, and I think of all sports. It's the hardest ticket to get in all of golf. I'd never been. I'd watched it religiously all of my life. I couldn't wait. And so we got in there early in the morning. We just took off on a slow jog down 10, 11, 12, Rage Creek, Amen Corner. We were there all day. We were exhausted. It was one of the best days of my life. We drove back to Atlanta, stayed with my friend's brother. It got to be about 11 o'clock at night. We were flying back out the next day because we only had a one-day uh, access to the Masters. And after that Friday, and I got to see Jack Nicholas. It was cool. Uh, we're about to go to bed and my roommate's brother got a call and said, Hey, I got one ticket for Saturday. We're like 150 miles back to Atlanta. And of course, my, uh, friend's brother, who is his twin, offered the ticket to my buddy Sandy. So I was kind of dejected. So I kind of wanted it. And, uh, but Sandy, it was Easter and he had a family back home because he was married. He goes, No, I better get back home. My wife will kill me if I don't get home for Easter. So he goes, Chuck, do you want it? And of course, knowing me, I said, yes. Okay. And so I got up like at five in the morning, about a few hours sleep, and I drove. The only, the only kicker was I had to meet a guy named Art Fogarty, who I'd never met before. I did not know what he looked like. This, and so I was supposed to meet him at eight o'clock at gate two, which if you know anything about Augusta National, you cannot get inside. You cannot see a blade of grass. Uh, and from the outside, and there's chain link, huge fences, all these kind of greens, whatever, I don't know what it is, stuff growing everywhere. So it's like a prison inside's paradise. And so I sat there and I meet Art, 8 o'clock, 8.05, 8.10, 8.15, no Art. You're thinking, just call him. No cell phone. This is 25 years ago. <laughs> I didn't even have his phone number. But, you know, that's we back pay phones, okay? And I sat there and I'm like, and I needed to go to the bathroom, but I couldn't get up because what if he's not going to wait on me if and when he gets here? Of course, there's, you know, parking problems and he's in traffic. It's crazy to get there. And it's like, well, I'm not even flying home the next day. I've got nowhere else to go. So I have to wait. And I waited. 830, 8.45. Nine o'clock. I'm still sitting there. No art, no ticket, no masters, nowhere else to go. 
The obvious spiritual implication is at that point, art was my only hope. But I had to wait on art. I couldn't get up from that spot. I literally am sitting on a sidewalk in the middle of Augusta, Georgia, just sitting there looking at every single person. Are you art? Are you him? Are you him? 910, 920, 930, no art. I waited and waited and waited and waited and waited. And about 10 o'clock art came. And I was so glad I'd waited. I ran inside, met with some up with some other friends, which is a fluke because I'd missed my appointed time with them and had another glorious day. Waiting is hard. Jared asked me to preach today on waiting on the Lord, something none of us are good at and none of us really want to do, right? And that's what we're going to do. But I want to tell you big picture. We're going to You can begin to turn there. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27 to 31 is that classic passage. It talks about if we wait on the Lord, we'll get strength. We'll mount up with wings like eagles. Uh, And as you turn there, though, I just want to just talk about waiting for a minute. Inside this passage is a feast of God's goodness. If we learn to wait on the Lord, we're all waiting for all sorts of things. The question is, are we waiting on the Lord or are we just waiting in a hundred other different ways? Let me just read this. And it ends with this great promise. And I'll set the context here after I read these verses. Why, um, verse 27, Isaiah 40, 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and why, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? He's in essence saying, why are you saying that I don't know where you are? And he says, and why are you saying my right is disregarded? He's in essence saying, why are you saying I don't care? And then God begins to speak and he says, have you not heard have, have, uh, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But... This is setting for two ways to live, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not be faint. Pray with me. God, the father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, you are awesome. Help us gain Insight and understanding into your awesome character and activity in our life and in this world from this passage. And teach us what it means to wait upon the Lord. We want to experience this renewal of strength. We want to experience this change and be less weary and not faint. Give us, O Holy Spirit, everything we need. 
Amen. In essence, there's the wrong, there's two ways, like I said in this passage, in verse 30 is one. It says, the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall fall exhausted. That what that's the picture that verse 30 is painting is like we are no, we don't have the tools, utensils, and abilities to live life in this hard fallen world. We don't have it. Even the strongest of the strong don't have enough. They will end up apart from God in their own strength, exhausted and weary and faint. We're no match for the demands of life on our own. We don't have what it takes. We cannot do it. But verse 31 gives you an alternative way. If we learn to wait upon the Lord, he gives these glorious promises, glorious promises. And to get a running start into this text, I'm going to just tell you three quick things about waiting in general that help set the context of this. One is, uh, let's just start here. Waiting's hard. Waiting's hard. Waiting's hard because life is hard. And so when life gets hard, we want relief. We want comfort. We want strength. We want new circumstances. We want all sorts of things now, right? And so waiting's hard because life's hard. Second, we all have a waiting problem. It's hard and we're not good at it. We're not born to wait, right? Anybody like to wait? It's like Jared said, preach on waiting. You're kind of older. Maybe you've learned to wait something. I don't know. I'm not good at it. It's like that old saying, well, don't pray for patience. You know, he may give you chances. Exactly. That's what patience is waiting. It's hard. And we have a waiting problem. If you get mad when you're at Walmart because, as you see, you've chosen the wrong line and you wish you'd have gotten in the line next to you because it's faster, you might have a waiting problem, right? If you're looking at your phone, it's taking more three seconds longer to load the video or song that you want to play, you might have a waiting problem. And if you think it's the most unfair thing in the world that you cannot open a single present before Christmas, you might have a waiting problem, right? Waiting's hard. No one's good at waiting. But to be fair, we're not made to wait. Your body and your soul was designed not to have to wait for the things we're having to wait on today. It's just not. We were designed for paradise and Eden to see not by faith, but face to face with God. We were supposed to experience everything in its fullness because we were in just glorious communion and intimacy, walking with God. God enjoyed the people and the people enjoyed God. They didn't have to wait. They had it all paradise. But from Genesis 3 to Revelation 20, we got paradise lost. And so we're not made to wait. That's why there's so much angst and tension in our bodies at times. And that's why it's hard to wait. And that's why we're not good at it is because we've not been naturally designed to wait. We're in Advent. Advent means arrival or coming, right? Is that what it means? It's coming. We're, we're waiting on Christmas. Christmas is about the first coming of Jesus. They had to wait and wait and wait. And the sad story is God's, many of God's people missed the first coming because they didn't know how to wait upon the Lord. They didn't take to heart this passage and they missed him. Now he's come once and he's promised to come again. And we're called to wait upon the Lord on the second coming. Where our bodies and souls aren't designed to wait. We're designed for not even just the first coming. 
We're designed for the second coming, the fulfillment of it all. We're made to experience the second coming of Jesus. Where the new heavens will come down to earth and every good desire will come true in an instant. Everything you've made to long for in a holy, righteous, awesome, joyous way will become true. Every tear will be wiped away. Every reason for sadness will disappear. The beauty and majesty and sheer glory of being in the presence of the invisible God and the visible Jesus will blow every category you ever had of what joy and beauty and excitement were. And that's what we were built for. That's what secretly, that's what we're waiting on and we don't know it often. But it's the second coming. It's the kingdom on earth that we just sang about. In that moment, you'll feel more passion and desire forever. It'll be good. You'll feel more loved on that day than any other day. That's what we're waiting on. We'll feel more seen. We'll feel uh, everything will make sense for the first time ever on that day. That's what we're waiting on. You'll, you'll see that he, oh, he did know what he was doing when he's authoring my story. We'll go, oh yeah. And we'll be with him most of all. And we'll see on that day, we don't have to wait anymore. It's like, yeah, you are worth the wait. This is worth the wait. That's the day we're waiting on. Advent is about arrival. That day hadn't arrived. So we, we prepare and we, we go to the baby Jesus on Christmas and it's perfect life, death, burial, and resurrection is ascension. But there's coming a day. He's one of his names is the bright morning star. That means when things are the darkest on this planet, boom, there's going to be a bright light. And that's going to be the return of Jesus to usher in everything you're waiting on. And so we have to, if we want to live life well, learn to wait. It's hard. You're not made for it. But we can. And like I'm sitting there with the art... You really don't have any other choice. Art was my only hope to get in the Masters on that Saturday. God is your only hope to live a life of meaning and purpose and joy. He really is. You must wait on Him. The church is waiting. I just described that. We're all waiting. You're waiting. You're waiting on all sorts of stuff. Again, this passage or seven times in these verses from 27 to 31, it uses this word group about weary or faint. I know we all feel weary and faint all the time. Life doesn't turn out, hasn't turned out the way we had it planned. And to the extent we haven't learned to wait on the Lord, we feel faint. We feel weary. We, we feel bitter. We, there's all sorts of things that we're waiting on that we're praying for that we don't have yet. Some of which we'll get, some of which we will not get because God's got something better in mind, but think for a minute, what are you waiting on? What are you asking God for? Not even asking God for, what are you waiting on? You think is something you need a better job, a better relationship, a better career, different gifts to use in the body. Some of you waiting on a baby, some of you waiting on a spouse, somebody waiting on money to pay your bills. Some are waiting on a diagnosis to say, why do I feel so horrible? Some are waiting on you don't even know what you're waiting on, but you're waiting because you know in the immortal words, the not immortal, the, for, the mortal words of you too, right? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. In some sense, we haven't. We haven't. 
Some are waiting on our enemies just to go away. Some are waiting on us. We want to change in a certain area and that change is coming slow. There's a, a hurt, hang up or habit that we, we need to kick or we want freedom or victory over. Some of us are waiting on some dear friends to come to be devoted followers of Jesus. We've been praying for decades and we're waiting. Some are waiting for new ministry opportunities or context to use your gifts. We're, we're all waiting on so many things. We have ministry desires yet unfulfilled and we're waiting and there's, I mean, even good longings and waiting. And so we're waiting for all sorts of things. The question is, how are we waiting? Are we waiting on the Lord? Are we waiting apart from the Lord? So I've entitled this sermon simply, since we're all waiting, I entitled the sermon, While You're Waiting, Wait Upon the Lord. While you're waiting, let's learn to wait upon the Lord. So I'm going to share with you just three ways that we can, uh, that's been helpful for me that I find right out of the heart of this text that we can experience these great promises to be uh, not weary, but renewed in our strength and mount up with wings as eagles and just attack. And by the way, that promise, I thought long and hard about, okay, what strength is he talking about? It's not like I can go out and lift a bunch of weights. No, this is really the strength to be whatever the opposite of feeling faint and weary is. So really it's a, it's an energy and a vitality with which you want to attack life and pursue Jesus and you know, fill out your calling on the planet. It's that kind of energy and vitality that he's talking about, not just being cynical and wanting to give up and feeling faint or weary. But here's the three, uh, the three points, the three things we're going to go after today that I see in this text I think will help us learn. They've helped me learn, and I'm still very much learning, but here's the three things I want us to just, that, that will help us experience those promises of strength and renewal. First is we're going to look at, we need to learn to feel deeply toward God. We're going to need to think rightly about God. And then we're going to need to learn to listen expectantly to God. Okay? Verse 27, we need to learn to feel deeply toward your God. Again, towards the key word. We all feel and we all were waiting. The question is, are we feeling and waiting toward God? You see in verse 27 again, it says, why do you say, O Jacob and Israel, my way is hidden and my right is disregarded by my God? In essence, they're feeling all sorts of stuff that have engendered these doubts, these temptations to think God's not aware and God doesn't care. Now, the context of this is God's writing this to Israel. Israel's the people of God, saved by the power of God, for the purposes of God to be the light to the Gentile nations. Okay, they had utterly failed over and over again. They got in, in inward focus. They're focused on their own things. They thought they were special uh, as being God's chosen people. And they were special because God loved them and was going to love them so much. They would be a light to the world. And Israel, for the most part, failed in that purpose. Prophet after prophet, God sent, you need to repent. You need to turn back to me. You got to quit ignoring me. If you know, and he had all oh, you, you read the first five books of the Bible. It tells you all the things that are going to happen is God's trying to sh- shake gently and then shake harder. His children wake up, return to me, return to me, return to me, come back. You're not listening. Come on. And the final one, I mean, after plagues and after the crops don't work, if they don't come back to the Lord, the last one is exile, deportation. And so this book is written to the people of God who are about to go 
Isaiah 1, chapters 1 to 39 just said, you're getting ready to go for just 70 years to Babylon and be prisoners. 40 to 66 talks about what future is going to look like after Babylon. But when he says, wait on the Lord in this problem, he's talking to his people who are sinful and rebellious. And now they're going into captivity. And he's saying, but while you're in captivity, you've got to learn to wait upon the Lord. And then there's those four shalls. You shall be renewed and you shall get comfort and you shall not be weary and you shall mount up with wings as eagles, but it's not going to happen tomorrow. Some things have to be waited on. So that's the context. Um, and so it was natural for Israel, the people of God to be tempted to go, you know, a couple decades into this captivity, right? Uh, he's forgotten us. I mean, all they were, they were living life on what they could see and they're prisoners. They weren't built to be prisoners. Just like we're not built to wait on certain things. They wanted the promised land now. They wanted all that restoration now and they weren't getting it. And so they're tempted to think God's not aware. God doesn't care. Are you ever tempted to think that God doesn't see you? Yeah. That's a temptation. And when we're tempted, we're having lots of feelings. There's lots of emotions attached to that. It could be tons of hurt because we feel abandoned. There's tons of fears like, what am I doing? And we get frantic. There's tons of sadness because we think of times in the past that were better. There's tons of guilt because they, you know, sometimes we're in the situation we're in because we've sinned and made mistakes. So all of those emotions come out of that verse 27 and they're falling to the temptation to despair God's character. They've lost confidence in God and they're really complaining. God doesn't care and God, God's not aware. And I understand it's natural. I think that all the time. It's a temptation coming from all these feelings we need, if we're going to wait upon the Lord successfully and experience these radical promises, really to do the impossible against all odds, we need to learn to take our emotions to God and not use them as excuses to stay away from God. We have to learn to be patient. We don't get everything now. You're not going to get to open all your Christmas presents tonight. Okay? You got to wait. You're not going to get everything today. Put that next quote up there about patience from Chip Dodd. Patience is hard won. However, it is essential if we want to keep hope alive while waiting for fulfillment. It requires the development of frustration tolerance. We all get frustrated all the time. I get it. The question is, what do we do when we get frustrated? We look at the world. It's broken. Yes, it's horrible. There's all sorts of evil. We all see it. We all diagnose. There's lots of problems in us. Because of us, to us, and around us. It's frustrating, again, because we're not made to bear up under this section of history. We're just not. And we have to be patient. We have to learn to wait upon the Lord and develop this frustration tolerance that God gives. I mean, um, so we don't give up. 
Waiting is to live in eager, confident suspense. Waiting for God to act. Waiting is this place where faith has to live in the tension of God's promises not yet fulfilled. Waiting is really, on the Lord, is really tiptoeing. You take the promises of God that we haven't seen fulfillment yet and keep going to God. Waiting is today the day. We have to learn to take our emotions to God. I'm just going to read you a couple of verses out of Psalm 38. There's a lot of wrong ways to take our emotions to God. We all have emotions. We all get disappointed in God sometimes. The question is we need a place to be honest. And we usually, if we get disappointed or we're bitter, we don't feel toward God. We just go out and complain to everybody else about God. But in Psalm 38, can't read the, I could, but I'm not going to read the whole thing. Just listen, listen to these verses. This is the right way to wait on the Lord. My iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I'm utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day I go about mourning. My sides are filled with burning and there's no soundness in my flesh. I'm feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. Oh, Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. He knows that, God, you see me. You see it. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. The light of my eyes, it has also gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. He was abandoned. He was hurting and then Psalm 38, 15, but he said, but for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is for you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. That's the way we wait on the Lord when we're hurting, when we have deep emotion. We wait upon the Lord. And that last phrase, but for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is for you, O Lord, God, who will answer. What confidence. He had learned. He didn't say, I'm waiting on you because you have answered. You will answer. Just like, again, I was waiting for art. You only have one real hope to get all that you want. Let's just be, be honest about it. You only have one hope to get all you want and desire. He created you to desire the things you desire. And only he can fulfill them. And we got to have this frustration tolerance built up. We have to have this patience and endurance. We have to, to feel deeply toward God, not away from God. And we have to wrestle with God. He, he applauded Jacob for wrestling with him. Gave him a limp. But that God said, you can come to me with everything. Just come to me. And not, don't go around me. Don't avoid me. Look at Isaiah 40, verse 1. Because if we learn to feel deeply toward God, we will learn how he feels about us. Do you hear that? If you'll just feel deeply toward him, over time you'll learn what he feels about us. And that's all captured beautifully in one word in chapter 40, verse 1. The first verse of this chapter we're looking at, and it's the word comfort. That's what you'll learn 
there's some things we have to wait on and some things we don't have to wait on. And I have good news this morning. God's comfort is present now. Again, first 39 chapters of Isaiah be summarized by one word, confrontation. Because they were sinning and they had rebelled and they weren't living out their missiological purpose to be the light to the nations. 40 to 66 can be summarized by another word, comfort. Comfort. Isn't that a great verse? Comfort, comfort, my people says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended and her iniquity is pardoned and she is received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Even if you're experiencing God's fatherly hand of care and discipline for even something you did wrong, he's trying to train you. Just know his deepest intention towards you is comfort. One of my favorite quotes from Ray Orland's commentary on Isaiah 40. I'm going to put it up. Lengthy quote. It's going to walk through it with you because it is beautiful. And you need to hear this today because there's lots we have to wait on, but you don't have to wait on this. Well, you got to wait on it until they put it up anyway. Do we have it? (laughs) Brian? Doesn't work? Oh, you don't have it? That big long one at the end? Okay, it's okay. You have to wait. (laughs) Fortunately, I've got it. Scotch tape right in my Bible. You ready? Just relax, take a breath. You're going to enjoy this. God's deepest intention toward us is comfort. How could it be otherwise? If the focus of Christianity were our sins, our future would shut down. But in fact, Christianity is all about the saving grace of God. He overrules our own sin and stupidity with his own absolute pardon through the finished work of Christ on the cross. Do we sin? Yes. Do we suffer for it? Yes, there are consequences. Is that where God leaves us? No. When his discipline has done its good work, God comes back to us with overflowing comfort. Seeing God, fellowship and guest, seeing God, not a frown, but a smile. Right now, seeing God, not a frown, but a smile, not distance, but nearness. Do you have glad expectations of God? You may, even as an undeserving sinner, you can have glad expectations of God. Do you see God coming down to you, even with your mission still unfulfilled, but with renewing mercies? You can. You may. You must see God that way or you will get no traction for holiness. The Bible teaches us it is the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. Orleans closes, no one will ever reverence and enjoy God unless he is confident that God is favorable toward him. That's the gospel. Ten chapters later... Isaiah begins to talk about Jesus as his suffering servant. In 52, 53, 54, somewhere in there, probably 53, he said, God the Father pleased him to crush Jesus for you. We deserve to be crushed. It pleased God to crush Jesus on the cross for you. His arms are open. He doesn't ignore our sin. He dealt with our sin so that he can smile. 
at you. Listen to this. We all need to hear this every day. Every reason. Does God have a reason to frown at us? Yeah, we're not perfect. He has reason to. We don't deserve his smile. But every reason God has ever had or ever will to have to frown at you was punished in Jesus Christ. The Christmas baby born and raised. So you wouldn't have to be crushed. So he wouldn't ever, 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 ever have to frown at you. He, in essence, frowned at Jesus and punished Jesus. So you can go free. So I can go free. That's God's grace. It's undeserved favor for those deserving only wrath. And so if we feel deeply toward God, that's how he moves back toward us with comfort. And that's something you don't have to wait on. Comfort you can have now. You can have it every morning if we feel our way toward God deeply. Second, we need to think rightly about God. Look at verse 28. We not only need to feel, we need to think. Because look at that phrase in verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Now these are things, these are thoughts. Have you not known? There's things you're supposed to know. This is about right thinking. We have to think rightly about our God. Part of waiting on the Lord is clarifying our puny thoughts and begin to have better thoughts and purified thoughts about our great big God. Listen, everything in life that matters depends on how you view God. Everything in life that matters hangs on who God is. This same book of Isaiah says he will not share his glory with another. He's not going to share it with you. He's not going to compete with you. And he wants to show the whole world he's gracious. And therefore, that's why he needs weak, broken people. Because he wants to shine his grace. He doesn't want you to try to be the most competent, perfect person. Because you can't do that. Our lives will go astray when we think puny thoughts about God. Churches will go astray when we think wrong thoughts about God. And this is a pretty uh, kind of a strong statement. Richard Lovelace says about the North American church drifting from the biblical portrait of God. Uh, I know we have this one. Well, I don't know anything. Okay. Here's Lovelace about the North American church. Walling off this. Im- That's the second one. You had the first part. The whole church drifts. Ah, there we go. The whole church drifts when we avoid the biblical portrait of the sovereign holy God who is angry with the wicked every day and whose anger remains on those who do not receive his son. Let's pause right there. That's true. That's Those are Bible verses. He is angry with the wicked until, but they can come and get free forgiveness like right now. And if you've never received the full and free forgiveness for your sins, you can right now. You don't have to be punished. You don't have to experience that frown. He is angry with the wicked every day and his anger will remain on you until you receive his son, the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. I would beg you to do that right now. If I would beg you to say, oh, lamb of God, I believe in you. You come and pray with us afterwards. We want to help you experience the full forgiveness of God. But he goes on to say, walling off this image into yeah, walling off this image into an unvisited corner of its consciousness, the church substituted a new God who was the projection of grandmotherly kindness mixed with the gentleness and winsomeness of a Jesus who hardly needed to die for our sins. 
Many American congregations were in effect paying their ministers to protect them from the real God. That's one reason why so many people are weary, frustrated, and weak, and faint, because they don't have a picture of a God that's big enough and strong enough, who, as this text said, does not grow weary ever, who does not faint for them to run to. We don't expect enough out of God. I do not want to protect you from the holy living God. Some of you's probably thoughts are running at this point to C.S. Lewis. Anybody's thoughts run to C.S. Lewis? Kind of a quote? Anybody? No? Okay, there, because I'm going to read it to you. C.S. Lewis and the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. You know, Aslan's Christ figure, uh, figure pictured is, is a lion. And they, someone told Susan, it says, oh, oh, Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. And Susan goes, ooh, I thought Aslan was a man. Is, is, is he, is he uh, quite safe? I should rather feel nervous about meeting a lion than Mr. Beaver said safe. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. So our God's not safe. But he's good. He's powerful. You don't want to spend your life complaining to this God. That's why he's telling them in verse 27, why are you saying these things about me? Why have you lost confidence in me? Why are you saying my way is hidden from God? Have you not heard? Have you not, uh, have you not known and have you not heard? One of the best things, one of the first sermons Lindy and I ever talked about together, we heard a guy named Tommy Nelson talking about James and it says, um, uh, consider all joy, brethren. Um, when you encounter various trials, like James one, that word consider means you need to have right thinking. And what Tommy said in that sermon was when life smacks you in the face, one of the things you need to do is start reviewing your theology. Consider, right? Consider it all joy when you face all these things you don't want to face and enter the process. Okay. So we need to be a right thinking people. Think rightly about our God. And verse 28 gives us four Pictures of God to think rightly about him. Here's the picture he wants us. So these are the pictures of God we wait on. The Lord God is an everlasting God. Whoa. We're waiting on a God who time for whom time does not matter. We're waiting on a God who's outside of time. We're waiting for a God who's eternally preexistent and will exist forever. He knows something about time. He's the everlasting God. He's here Today, he's here tomorrow, and he's always been. He's the everlasting God. That He's also the creator of the ends of the earth. This big God created every nook and cranny. And in fact, it says that he's, omni, not, he's, not, yeah, he's omnipresent. He's in every nook and cranny through his spirit. He's controlling them all. And so as you're waiting, you're waiting on a God who's eternal. And you're waiting on a God who's creator he created you he knows you he knows where you are he knows what you need and then the third picture in here is that uh he doesn't grow faint or grow weary he's not tired he's not on vacation he doesn't need a break it means he's active he's always at work he's at work on your character 
He's at work wooing you. He's at work trying to give you extended comfort. He's working on your prayers. He's creating a masterpiece with your life. And then the fourth phrase in here, the fourth little portrait of God that we're waiting on, it says that his understanding is unsearchable. Whoa. Often when we're not waiting on the Lord and we're out trying our own thing and this frantic performance because we're so scared to death of slowing down and deal with God, we don't know what we might think or find about ourselves, and we just panic and we rage and we're so scared and we're not waiting on the Lord, we're waiting away from the Lord. We sometimes are really adopting this motto, I got it, I can fix it, I got it, I got it, I got it. And you swing the pendulum on the other side and you get tired of trying to get it, you get really become cynical. And you think, well, nothing matters. Nothing will help. You've lost all hope. And the motto for that person is not that I got it, but no one's got it. And there's nothing anyone can do. But the portrait that we wait on of God is not we say, I got it. And not the thought that no one's got it, but we need to learn to say, you've got it. You've got it. Literally four months ago, I went and took a half day trying to have my own angst in my soul. And I was kind of complaining to God some things I didn't think he was doing right. And I intentionally, because this is one of my favorite passages, wasn't for sermon prep. It was for survival mode in my soul, for peace of my soul. Spent a half a day meditating on this. And I got to this phrase. You know what God told me? Chuck, I know what in the heck I'm doing. That's what I heard. I was like saying, man, I need this and I need that. And I need you to do this and I need that. And he's like, Chuck, I got it. I got it. Okay, okay, Lord, you got it. And when he breaks into that, that that brings this. I didn't feel faint and weary anymore. I I felt restored. Because I encountered him. And even though I didn't know what he had, I just knew he had everything. That he was holding everything. He was holding the universe and he was holding me. Friends, he knows what in the heck he's doing. He sees you. He made you. He's not tired of you. He's not incapable of working out the plan for the world. You know what God says? On the first point, I gave you the assignment of reading uh, Psalm 38. Is just as important. I beg you tonight or in the morning, read the rest of this, the rest of this chapter, Isaiah 40, because it is a, one of the big God chapters. And I've had it marked to go through some of it. But you just, if you want to wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord in this whole chapter, because it's really answering for the most part this imagined objection when God says, I'll comfort you, I'll bring you all these great promises. Like, what kind of God would you have to be? To come through on those awesome promises. And it talks about his sovereignty and his majesty and his activity in the world. But you do that on your own. But let me just summarize what it's telling us in this chapter. It says God is moving all of history to its appointed end. He's, it's his story. I know it's sometimes corny. But he's writing history is his story. But what's beautiful is. Is that simultaneously he's weaving your story into his story as part of a real history culminating forever and ever in the kingdom of God. I promise you that's true. He sees you. He has good plans for you. He will finish what he started. His friends. 
Let's read that verse again. These four things. He is everlasting. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He will never grow faint and grow weary of you or carrying out history and authoring your story. His understanding is unsearchable. Friends, that's where faith starts. His understanding is unsearchable. His mind and wisdom is perfect and infinite and yours is finite and limited. Therefore, part of the earlier chapters in, in Isaiah 40, I can't help but spirit bring these verses, is who's been my counselor, people? It's like, have you ever given God good advice? That's what God's saying. Are, are you the ones giving me good advice? Are you my counselor? Let's get the order straight. While we wait on God, lots of good things happen. Our thinking gets transposed. The first point I told you, if we move toward him with our emotions, we'll feel his emotions of comfort toward us. And this one, when we're waiting on the Lord, it's because we're thinking a bunch of puny, wrong, evil thoughts about God. He is perfect. There is no darkness in him. There, you're never going to, First John 1 says, that in him there is no darkness at all. Later, First John says he's love. You can't get close enough to God and do a thorough inspection and find one speck of anything wrong with him. I'm not trying to hide you from this God. You go after him. Almost, I want, if I could, I'd force feed him on you and all of his sovereignty. And, and here's the reality. Some of the things that you think you want, you'll never get. You're just not. I haven't. There's some things that I want. I'm not going to get. But obviously I didn't need them. And in fact, whatever he says no to, he's going to give you something better. That's just the way he is. He's good. He's wise. He's strong. Okay. And then verse 29. To close this point. 29. This massive God. Who has all understanding and has all power and he never gets tired or faint or weary. What does he do? He gives his power to the faint and weary. That's what it says. Verse 29. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might. He increases strength. Get to this verse 30. I mentioned earlier how we are no match for the demands of life. Even you shall faint and be weary and young men shall faint and be exhausted. So when you're tempted to think he's not aware, he doesn't care, I beg of you to go tell him that. Read Psalm 38, read Isaiah 40, and learn to take all of your feelings to him, and then learn to get right thinking about God. That's how we wait on God. That's how these impossible things begin to come through in our life. And then lastly, third Listen expectantly to your God. Verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, shall mount up with wings like eagles, shall run and not be weary, and shall walk and not faint. Look, while you're waiting, wait upon the Lord. Waiting is said to be the deepest term for faith in our Bible. Hey, sometimes we think, if you hear be patient or wait, that means you just be passive and just don't do anything. This is the most active form of faith. This waiting is active. So we just showed you, you actively take your hard emotions and hurts to the Lord. You actively get in the scripture and devour the scripture so you can do right thinking about God. And you actively go to him in prayer and relationship. Waiting does something. Waiting is what faith does before God's answer shows up. It's what faith is. 
God gives us awesome promises, then he asks us to wait. Wait with him. This is mystery space, magic space, intimate space with God, wrestling with God like Jacob, waiting upon the Lord one-on-one and listening expectantly about all these promises. He will purify and clarify over and over again. Because waiting, there's a quote, put this quote about prayer. We, because listening, we're talking, we're listening. That's prayer, two-way communication. Prayer stressed over and over again in the New Testament as a vital prerequisite for the release and experience of God's power. Hear this, the release of God's power and strength and vitality and comfort in your life doesn't come as a transaction before a vending machine God. It comes through relationship. That's his whole point. He's just have, he wants relationship with you. And in that relationship, we live in this confident, eager suspense. Living out the tensions of his promises revealed but not yet fulfilled. And at times, we have to believe he's a speaking God. He speaks through scripture and he whispers. He will whisper sweet things in your ear. The Holy Spirit in his presence will comfort you and empower you in this intimate space of waiting upon the Lord. With all of your wrong thinking, with all of your emotions everywhere, you just have to come to him. He knows where you are. He knows what to do with you. At times I hear him. I remember these are some profound examples where um, sometimes I'll spend hours trying to just be in all kind of... These are kind of... I don't spend hours every day. wish I... Anyway, I don't. But sometimes I have to pull away and get big chunks of time. And some of these big chunks of times when I'm so angsty. Here's some things personally he shared with me. One time, after a day, all I could hear from him was, Chuck, I love you. That was like 30 years ago now. And I was so frustrated. I needed a lot more clear direction than that. I knew that. But guess what? He knew that's what I needed to hear. And I've never forgotten it. And that's the most important thing. And he definitely will tell us all that. One time I was doing this. And it's the way I start every day now. It's a reminder. He goes, I see you. I see where you are. And again, I'm going to share with you. I know what I'm doing. I see you. I know what I'm doing. Relax. Relax. Sometimes I hear, hey, what they meant for evil, I mean for good. You're not abandoned. Sometimes I hear, quit asking for these other things that you want to do and just be faithful what I've already put on your plate and be present. And again, I know what in the heck I'm doing. (laughs) Wait upon the Lord with your whole being. That's the point. And enjoy communion with him. Again, the other option is doing life independent of God. And you will live, I promise you, a faint and weary existence. We can start right now. Let's pray. We can go to God right now. If you're faint and weary and want help, just say, God, help me. If you've been convicted about your puny thinking and are complaining spirit about God and 
and you've been complaining to others, but not to God directly, like Psalm 38 says. Just ask him for forgiveness. Because every time 1 John 1 says, if you ask for forgiveness, he'll immediately forgive you based on Jesus has already paid for it and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So say, please forgive me for sinning when I get frustrated and trying to take control or think puny thoughts about you. Or maybe you're saying, God, I just, I think I know what's best for me. And that's just a lie. You know what's best for me. Just tell him that. Say, forgive me for questioning your perfect wisdom and understanding. Father God, I thank you for the Bible that unveils the voice of God and pictures of God. You're the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. You're not faint. You haven't grown weary. And your understanding is unsearchable. And I'm glad that you want to give us today power to the faint and increase our strength. And help us then renew our strength in verse 31. Oh God, help us to encounter you in a way that we renew our strength and mount up with wings like eagles. And run and not be weary and walk and not faint. Amen. Amen. Give me a lemon communion. We're going to take communion now. There's four stations. There's a gluten-free option in the back corner. This table, this communion is about Jesus. It's about waiting on the Lord. The bread is about His perfect life. The cup is about His blood, His life that was shed for you so that you can experience complete forgiveness. So you come to this Jesus. Jesus knows that we are living in an age between the first coming and second coming. He knows how hard it is. He knows we have to, we're frustrated. He knows that we're tempted to live life apart from Him. He knows all that. And He wants you back anyway. So go to the table. He's waiting for you at the table. And it's His arms open of the Father. This blood and this bread are symbols of Jesus' life that have pried open the arms of the Father. So go to the table today and experience His comfort and His full and free forgiveness once again. If you're not a follower of Christ, we would beg of you, don't take communion, but take Jesus. Just come up here and Jared or Luke or I will pray with you.